It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for the welcome. It always worries me slightly about a church if they ask me back a second time. I'm not joking about that. But what, it, what I think it says about this church is that it really likes to ask questions. At least some corners in the church really do. I can't speak for everyone. I think that the church that stopped asking questions, how shall we then live? Examining the present age, the present community, the present society, how shall we then live, turns in it on itself and effectively dies. Does all the, the church stuff for 30 years or more, maybe 200 years, but dies. And I, th I think that's where we are in many ways. So, a scripture that's taken from a section in Acts 11 to 12. Couldn't, didn't have time to read it all because it's a story and a half, but I'll ref refer to it as we go. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God has given them, 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 the same gift that he had given us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to resist God? What's that about? What I want to talk about is opinions, prejudice, blockages, and possibilities. Opinions, prejudice, blockages, and possibilities. Where do our opinions come from? It's not rocket science, is it? They come from home and family, community, friends and influencers. The old phrase is that if I'd been born a mile down the road, I wouldn't have thought, done, and believed like I do. Isn't that so true? So I and all of us are products of the community of reference, as a friend of mine who's died called it, community of reference gives us our opinions, beliefs, attitudes, actions, and choices, and expectations. Some of us may find a bit of influence from elsewhere, like Egypt who come to speak in church and so on, but generally speaking, that, that's what happens. So, where does our opinion, attitude, belief, expectation about being a Christian come from? Home, church, obviously, friends, if we're lucky. Some of us don't have those anymore. And influencers. If we've been born a mile away in church terms, in another church, we mightn't have the opinions, attitudes, beliefs, and expectations that we do. What does that say? It means in the question, what does our set of opinions, attitudes, expectations, and belief offer us? Hugs. Don't our parents, didn't our parents love it if they were f of faith when we said we believe? And it's one of the key hugs that you get as a child, if you had that privilege, when you say you believe, and it's a crucial thing for life, you get community. Look, when you have a set of agreed opinions and attitudes and expectations, you get this community, and maybe community in school, 
again, as you're if you're lucky, we get our sense of who we should and shouldn't listen to, don't we? And we have filters, we have ear filters on, even as we watch the news, but certainly as we absorb somewhere or not Christian teaching, we filter out and are deaf to what we don't believe and hear and expect. And there's a brilliant video, if you, if you can find it when you go home, have a look at it. There's people playing basketball and you're asked to, to see how many times the ball ex changes hands from player to player in the video. During the video, a man dressed as a gorilla walks through the scene. And at the end of the video, it says, did you spot the gorilla? And I, like millions of others, said no. But the you look at it again and you think, flip, the gorilla was there walking right through. And so it's an example of filter. It's incredibly strong, our filter. What did we think about 59 missiles onto the Syrian airfield? How we received that is a product of home, family, community, which newspaper we read, etc., etc. So we're kind of stuck in a sense. It gives us cause as well. I've heard cause replete in this service what, about what you want to be and do. And it gives merit and honoring. The people who are best at the opinions and expectations and attitudes get merit and honoring in your community. People are selected based on how well they honor the opinions and actions. And so if you're part of the community and you haven't really learned the, the accepted norms, you have to learn quick. Otherwise, you find yourself a wee bit ostracized. So it gives acceptance, all told. There's a lot of thinking going on, naturally enough, the nature of, of Britain and Ireland has changed radically in the last 20 years. There's a lot of thinking about how to do intercultural work because in most communities, including ours, you will come across people who have arrived with a completely different set of opinions, attitudes, and expectations. And there was also, in many cases, a language difficulty. So there's lots of studies on this premise about flex and core. Your flex is the things that change over the years. If you look at yourself, depending on where you start, if you break your life into thirds and think where you, you were two-thirds of your life ago, think where you are now in your opinions and so on, and where you were a third ago, if they're still the same, they propose that that's your core. If bits and pieces have changed, it's your flex. So for me, at 17, my favorite music was rock and roll, Bill Haley and all that. Being fit, doing sport, being a loyalist and riding. And as it happens, I, Ian Bodie, as I know him, was reluctant to say what occurred in Dublin in 1978. But with my loyalist passion, I, along with everybody else who went, when the soldier song was being played, 
at Lansdowne, sat on the terrace and sang the sash. So, so that's how, how enamored I was with, with the soldier song, Nationalism and Catholics. Me at 59, which is today, I've matured a bit, so I'm preferring the Eagles and Antoine Foray. And Reese, why, why is this thing rattling? Do you know, is it? Well, do you just hold them? I don't, pockets don't work. I'll have to hold it. So, <laughs> why, why do the stitch pockets and jackets? <laughs> so, so Antoine Foray, and I'm, I'm going to a wee concert on, at, at the Ulster Hall, a wee, a wee sober concert on Friday night. You know, anyway, dreaming of fitness rather than being fit, TV sport rather than doing sport, a fellow traveler with Catholics, which I'll say a, a bit more, and a reconciler. So something happened midstream. So what about my faith life? I was in turmoil about faith at 17, but I was still hanging on to my evangelical background, which was very much, it's like this. Detail was huge. We wrestled in our Baptist church endlessly about premillennialism and postmillennialism. Does anybody remember those debates? Yes, and about, you know. So, and we knew exactly about how baptism should be done. So anybody who wasn't a Baptist, really, or the brethren squeezed in, but everybody else was essentially <laughs> pagan. So, and that's not, not a joke, because we had absolutely no exchange with the Presbyterians 100 yards up the road. And so Catholics and many others are on the other side. And Jesus' death was everything, absolutely everything, because it was what secured my salvation and took my sins away. So then, <coughs> me at 59, committed to addressing po poverty as part of my Christian understanding. It might be like this rather than it is like this, because I've got so confused over the years, really, that I don't know what, how really it all should be anymore. So, uh, you know, it might be like this in terms of, of attitudes and opinions. Forget the detail. Give me the main thing. What, you know, let's not argue about things in Scripture, for instance, that are really ambiguous. Otherwise, people wouldn't believe that both things. Let's <coughs> focus on what Jesus said is the main thing, and I'll come to that. And Jesus' life is everything also. Jesus, Jesus just could have come as a 33-year-old, get hung on a cross and saved us all. But he spent 33 years, and three, three of which years are well recorded, suggesting us how to be. What markers are unnegotiable in our Christian walk? For me, in my youth, I understood it to be abs abstention from alcohol, cigarettes, cinema, watching TV on Sunday, swearing dirty jokes and dirty thoughts, hyphen holiness. It was about re reverent adoration of the Jesus who died to secure my forgiveness. And it was about church three times, etc., on Sunday. If we did the prayer meetings before and after the services, it was five, five meetings on a Sunday with a wee drive to White Rock in between <laughs> to try and feel like it was a day of rest, <laughs> so, which, in which it was usually an argument about how long we were spending on the trip. Anyway, 
because there was things to do. So in the, t in the 2010s then, a lot of certainly middle-class Christians will have wine. Uh, you can't have beer, really, <laughs> but you can have wine. <laughs> um, internet pornography is huge, and it's a, a, a topic that needs really, really deep and severe conversation in the church. Cool worship of Jesus, my Savior and helper. So Jesus is my friend, rather than just the, the reverenced saver of sins that he was when I was young. And church attendance has changed. It's, it's a bit more flexible. It's a bit less rigid for me. Anyway. And the balance of Scripture, what does the balance of Scripture say are the crucial things? Holiness, naturally enough, we know that. Interestingly enough, of the 3,200 3, times that the poor are mentioned, it's often when God is re regaling his people for being unholy. And almost always adjacent to that unholiness is neglect of the poor. Justice, justice would be in Bible terms and in Jesus terms, everyone having enough, not too much and not too little. And if we have as individuals too, too much, then maybe we need to give some of it away. Oneness amongst his disciples, as he dies, really, my heart is that they all become one. And love for your enemies, reconciliation. And I don't think that's something that gets enough airplay, in a sense, because if we look at the path that Jesus walked, in a sense, everyone was the enemy of God because of unholiness. But he also chose really countercultural paths to walk as well. So he was on the margins. He abandoned material wealth. And the markers of his ministry were accessibility and vulnerability. Were those, if you think about flex and core for Jesus, it's, it's interesting that in Scripture, in, in the Gospels, it suggests that Jesus' journey moved on. He had to go up on hillsides to ask God. It says a couple of times about how to be, what to do, what attitude to take. Interesting. But he was permanently accessible and vulnerable, even when he took refuge up mountains because people needed him. So what are the unchanging values of the kingdom? Is Remember the fellow who came to him and said, God, I've done all the right things. What counts? And Jesus said, love God with all your heart, body, soul, and mind. And your neighbor as yourself. I would suggest to you that everything else is of secondary importance because Jesus would suggest that. I would suggest to you that everything else is of secondary importance. In Acts 11 and 12, as I say, it's too long to read, a very strange thing occurs. It's Jesus has disappeared into the ether. Disciples are shaky, searching, but determined to follow him still. And Peter is in his prayer room, 
And he has an image of God sending down a sheet with forbidden meat on it. Forbidden meat. And, he, and God says, rise and take, take the meat. And Peter panics because the, 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 the unclean meat is not a cultural norm. Peter's understanding is that this, the, the Scripture says, which wasn't the Old Testament for him, but what is for us, says that if you eat these things, you'll bring down the wrath of God. It's sin. And God says, sin. Or does he? Simultaneous with that vision is a fella called Cornelius, a Roman captain in his fairly plush home in the desert. And an angel comes to speak to him. And, he sa- and the angel says, you have honored God. You have been kind to the poor. You need to go and find Peter. I don't know how Cornelius knew about Peter. He was maybe on a wanted list for Cornelius. You can imagine how the Romans were feeling about this insurgency that had increased after the mad heretic had died. And so Cornelius has a perspective from his community, home, church, military establishment, and political outlook that says Peter is probably a terrorist. And the angel says, go and find that fella. So here you have Peter baffled why God has said, take this meat and sin. And this fella who's a Roman asking for Peter. That was the second big shock for Peter. He had already distanced himself from his, his Jewish neighborhood, family, community, society, and religious context by following Jesus. So the poor fella, you can imagine, you know, he's getting letters from his dad saying, what have you done, son? You've, you know, you've really let us down. Do you know how people in the town are talking about us? Because you've gone to the other side. And he's coming to terms with all that, and Jesus, or God, lands another big one on him and says, you know when I said that you would go into all the earth and make disciples? In your controlled head, you thought I meant all the parts of Israel and maybe the border area where Jesus might have sat and had a a yarn at at a well. Then, two blokes knock at the door and say, will you come and see Cornelius? He wants to talk to you. Imagine that. Peter is an insurgent. The military establishment has invited him into the lion's den. He's just had the most confusing vision it's possible to have 
for a believer. What does he do? Well, the, the poor fellow goes, of course. So as he's going, he's thinking, maybe things aren't just how I really, really earnestly thought them to be. The weird thing when he turned up at Cornelius' house was God had been there before him. And the scripture says that Cornelius was a God-fearing man with a good heart who was very kind to those in need. So Peter found that he was not talking to a godless pagan, that God had been operating, molding, shaping the heart of Cornelius, the captain, before Peter got there. And Cornelius, being God-fearing and markedly generous, when you think about those two marker <coughs> markers of, of core teaching of Christ, love God with all your heart, body, soul, and mind, and your neighbors yourself, was Cornelius already in? Was he already indoors? Who knows? Who knows how God perceives these things? But what he had to have and what he knew Peter could invite him to was the fullness of the Holy Spirit to enable him. And so Peter goes and preaches and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit's all over the room, flattening people, making them sing, shout. Can you imagine what, how that would be in a respectable captain's room? When, it, when his children see him as an austere, robust, reverential character, and the next minute the Holy Spirit's wrecking the place. It was a huge step for both. It was brand new thinking, culturally, socially, politically, ethically, in some other ways as well. It was brand new thinking for both. Radically brand new thinking. If you can imagine Peter on the, the walk back to where he'd come from, where the brothers and sisters were, what is he thinking? He's thinking these people have, will see me as a collaborator with the enemy. I might be despised, I might be vilified, I might be ejected. And as I say, Peter had only been recently been redesigned by the heretic, Jesus. For Peter, can you see the, the, the journey? And the crucial thing is journey. Peter, it's fair to say, was unknowingly prejudiced. And we are all unknowingly prejudiced. He said, don't be silly. We are all making decisions, having thoughts, realizing expectations that are barriers and blockages to the growth of the kingdom. All of us, me. I wrestle. I lived in Lower Ormo for 20 years, having worked in it for all that, and still wrestle with sectarian impulses that inhibit 
my living out the kingdom. Prejudice could be defined this way. It's an unfair and unreasonable opinion or feeling, especially informed without enough thought or knowledge. Does that ring true? It's an unfair and unreasonable opinion or feeling, especially when formed without enough thought or knowledge. And it's only without enough thought or knowledge in the ether, because we don't know. We don't have enough thought and knowledge. But how can our collection of things inhibit us about who to be with as fellow missionaries and how? If Peter hadn't risked the journey to Cornelius' house, and if Cornelius hadn't risked the invitation to Peter, both could have missed a big opportunity for the spiritual development of both. A unique and extremely risky opportunity for partnership and faith and mission. And who knows whatever came afterwards. You know how, for better or worse, the whole Roman Empire became Christianized. How much was that risk by both parties? A blessing that enabled the kingdom. So, a wee bit about my own messy journey. I went to college in Wales as a, ca- a Catholic hater because the IRA had hurt my family and friends and I'd rioted a lot trying to hit a Catholic with a brick in re- revenge etc. I'll not go into detail but at in Wales I met the first Irish Catholic that I'd ever met because I was from the East Bar- Belfast hinterland Aidan Coleman from Newry. Aidan was a mystery to me because with my heady loyalist evangelicalism, even though it began to crumble at university, I was determined to make him know he was wrong in his beliefs. The mystery about Aidan was he would argue back to me from Scripture, and I would say, hang on, that's my Bible. And he would talk about, say, the communion, the transubstantiation, and he would say, ah, but the Greek says that it actually becomes the body and blood of Christ whenever I call him a cannibal. You know how we do. Oh, my goodness. This is a bit strange. Not only is he a Catholic and a fervent follower of God, but he's Irish as well. And all of that was the worst of all. I came back to here reluctantly and sought out a a Protestant and Catholic group. It was called Community of the King. Anybody remember it, hear of it? It was a Protestant Catholic group that had found common interest in worshiping God together and praying together and seeking God's will. It wasn't a church. Everybody else, everybody in it went to church but met at the weekend. It was good but it was dead, dead posh, you know. And everybody in it had gone to grammar school and played rugby and, 
and camogie and you know all that sort of thing and so i thought where does god want me to live this new shaken disrupted confusedness and i was sitting in a meeting once and i read this scripture and it, you know it happens rarely for me very 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 rarely but one of those scriptures that runs up your arms and goes into your heart and it said other sheep of i not of this fold them also would I bring, and there would be one shepherd and one, one sheepfold. And I, it just wrecked me. And I was just flo I was on the floor, and myself couldn't sing, couldn't stand, couldn't anything. And a job opportunity came up to lead this bizarre thing that began to happen in Lower Omo, which you may know is, is an elderly Catholic community, and fairly heavily Republican and nationalist. And it was a weird thing that emerged out of a local women's group and the Crescent Church. Crescent, middle, uh, middle class, quietly unionist, Protestant, tidy. Joyce and her women's group in Lower Omo, swearing, chaotic, but hoping for, for change. And so, against my lots of my better judgment i went to take the job of development officer there and so began what i thought would be two or three years it was risky time at then and it was 1989 and protestants were shooting people from lower omo and, and uh and people from lower omo were shooting protestants and so I thought I may not last too long here. Hopefully I'll get a warning before I'm taken out. But the concern was for, for myself and for the other Protestant background volunteers and staff who came was not that somebody local would shoot us, but that somebody who knew there was prods in that building in Lower Omo called Mornington Community Project would do it when a Catholic had been hit. And there was tense times, not least when, when loyalist gunmen went in and shot five people dead in the local boogie, boogie shop, which include, included in the five dead two lads that were working for us who went out on lunch break. And so for that day and for several other days, we walked around, those of us from a Protestant background, feeling we had pro Protestant tattooed on our heads. But it was interesting to be really accepted into the homes of the bereaved as fellow mourners. Really, really exceptionally meaningful. It was frightening at the time. But we knew that some kind of welcome had truly been made for those of us from a, a Protestant background in the community. Father Tony in the St. Malachy's Parish, which is the local parish church, came to us about five years in and said, I need to confess, I was really cautious and, and resentful about your presence here. And I want to say that I'm sorry because I see the people of Christ in this place. And I, I'd, we had been to funerals, you know, every so often somebody would get shot or die of 
uh, addictions or something, and we would be in the church, just in the, the parish church, just going through the motions. And you know what struck me in the, in the church was how when we do the, the liturgy of the Mass, 98.5% of it, I could say here, and you would all go, Amen. When it comes to the bit about praying for the Pope, a wee thing that's buried in here says, no Pope here, you know? And then when we pray for the, the bishop and so on, I think, well, he's not really my bishop. And, but it's small beer, isn't it? If I, can, if I can sit amongst those people and identify with 98.5% of who they are, as the scripture said at the start, how can I resist God? And about two years after that, I'll try and get through this because it wrecked me. <laughs> about two years after that, Father told me, rang me and he said, I'm washing the feet of people at the altar on the, the Monday, Thursday and Holy Thursday um, who serve the community. Would you let me wash your feet? And I said, no. <laughs> I said, no, thanks. It's a gracious offer, but no. It was just too much. It was just too much going on about it. And I, I rang him back the next day and said, I'm sorry, can I have my feet washed, please? And so, you know, I think about the different achievements, like a graduation service and, and all that crack. Those are meaningless compared to, the, to that experience for me because it was a, an expression that said it wasn't ecumenical. It didn't need the structures of church to become willing and compliant with each other. It needed struggling common disciples to find each other. And that's what's potential in, in Balmy Hinch. And I don't want you to teach you to suck eggs because I know there's willingness in the church to meet with others. But it needs, I believe, to be not just the willing, open-minded leaderships, of all the churches. It needs to be the bodies of the church. So how will we do it? If we think about Peter and think about Cornelius, they both made really risky journeys. It demands risky journey. And if we look at the life of Christ, there isn't really an alternative except risky journey. How, would you, how might you do a risky journey? Well, what about, not all at once, because it would be a bit obvious, but what about if two or three just slid into Mass one day? When it comes to the distribution of the, the body and wine, um, <laughs> I always struggled about that, but I knew that the church would not, it, the Catholic Church would not want me as a non-communicant to receive. So Cather, Father Kern got, used to get all, used to all us dopey prods in the meetings, and he used to say, if there is anyone here who does not feel able to take the bread and wine, he said, I am not stopping you, but if you feel that way, then come for a blessing. And so we, we used to traipse up, and he would, bless, he would pray for us. And so, if you like, there's lots of surrender. There's lots of giving away. And to go back to where opinions and attitudes and beliefs and expectations come from, it's home, family, and community. And my mom 
was horrified that I went to Lower Ormo. And my dad was, thought I was daft as a brush, but didn't exp like most dads of the time, didn't express it much. It was interesting to see my mum over the years come to events that we had in Mornington Community Project. And I would go up on a Friday for my fish supper and she would say, you know, I was talking to Mary at that wee event. She's really nice, isn't she? And what she meant was, she's really nice for a Catholic, you know. <laughs> and it was interesting as, as the family developed their understanding and, and met with people and knew that people were growing in faith through, through the project, not becoming members of Protestant churches, but growing in faith. Um, so what missional possibilities might be, be present for Balnehenge here? And, and Grace Fellowship. You've hung yourselves, haven't you? With the title. <laughs> you might as well say, hit me. <laughs> hit me, Fellowship. You know, Grace is a monster. <laughs> Grace is a monster, isn't it? Because it pulls at all our expectations. And I'm really, really struggling at, in, at the minute about it in a number of ways. But if we don't have it, what's, and you know, what is the point of your fellowship? Do you know, really? And where might it be expressed for the other that we don't know yet very well? Do you know? What about finding all the other disciples in Balmahinch from each party, even the pagans and the Presbyterian church and the, the Church of Ireland and so on? Do you know? And saying, tell me about your walk with God. Is it like mine? Is it rotten? Some days, yeah, so is mine. Is it full and delightful? Some days, so is mine. And so our, how do we do our shared distinctiveness in an in a, a, um, agnostic society? When my faith was falling apart in Wales, which was partly, partly Aidan Coleman's fault. I took, at the end, a, a sporty job, which was going through the country as a representative of the university. And I would have these conversations with Aidan, and then I the train would stop in Bir Birmingham, and I would look over these swathes of a population, thinking, my faithy thing is dead irrelevant for almost everybody in almost all of those houses. Almost church attendance, 4% in most of Britain at the minute, and even less in some places. And so I thought, what really counts? What is left of my faith? And if Aidan Coleman loves God and his neighbor as himself, he's my brother. And I met Aidan at, you know, Greenbelt Festival? Faithy music, music and talks festival. I heard his voice behind me. I hadn't seen him for about 25 years. That's Aidan Coleman. Hello, Aidan. How you doing? What are you doing? I'm an Anglican minister in Rill. <laughs> 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 <So>, he <laughs> So you can imagine the conversation then. So how do we do our distinctive sharedness as believers with the other believers in the time? I honestly believe the time has gone to have the luxury to draw a wee line over things that aren't core. 
or things that are ambiguous in Scripture so that it's possible for two people to read them and arrive at two opinions? What about dispelling those things as priorities and going first to those two principles of loving God with all our heart, soul, body, and mind, and our neighbors ourselves? Sharing the undilutable commitment to love God and to do good and bomb the hinge about the other. I presently work in the Link Community Center in Newtonards, and we do work with people with addictions. People wi with addictions are other for all of us, unless we're addicted. Give me a story, st a story about Charlie, who I used to see in the square in Newtonards which is where some of the alcoholics hang out in the day. And Charlie, we began to work with him. He offended his neighbor when he was plastered one day, called him all sorts of this and that. And the neighbor complained to the housing executive, and Charlie was evicted, came to us, said, can you help me? And we got him into a fold in Bangor's it happened. Charlie, when he went into the fold, misunderstood the, the term common room. Charlie took everything that was in the common room, all the ornaments and documents and everything, for his own wee flat. <laughs> He's in Magabre because he did that. At the root of everything that Charlie has experienced in that, in that wee set of circumstances, is his abuseness as a child. And we, we found more experiences of trauma like that in all the people who have addictions that we work with. The trite I'll say that they're but for the glory of go I. Because we find that everybody who we work with who has alcoholism and addiction in their life has a trauma that kicked it off. So as you look at people who are seemingly other because of their decorum, and there'll be people in Balmahinge, a lot of hidden alcoholism as well. It'll appear if you try to find it. How do you be with that other? And how and this isn't said lightly, how do you find the God in them who has already turned up and done lessons and become a common disciple? This is a challenge for your beautiful Grace Church. The heart of Jesus is shepherd of other sheep that are not of this fold. These I have to lead as well, and they shall listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock since there is one shepherd. I never thought that I would find Christ in a young fella who had IRA tattooed on his hand when I started work in Lower Ormel. But there was a man of faith, living out his faith in the context of lots of difficult pressures. And that, those, wor those letters, IRA, stunned me. I thought, do you really, young man, empathize with all that murder and mayhem. And we had some interesting conversations. I had an interesting experience one day. 
a fella moved in across the street. We'd moved in to Lower Omo because we felt if we say we love a community, why don't we live in it in 1996? And a fella moved in in his black taxi with, with his son. And I went over to see who he was and to welcome him. And he's called Mark. And good to see you, Mark. You're very welcome. Has its own wee irony. But I said, what happened? Why are you here? And he said, we lived in a Protestant community, and we're Catholic, and we got burned out. So this was the first house that became available. And he said, oh, that's a tough. I said, oh, that's pretty tough. And he said, yes, but it's good to be amongst your own. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, it is, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> Who is our own? Who can become our own? What are the barriers? What are the flex things? And they may even seem like precious theological considerations that we need to make secondary to the beautiful call of the beautiful Christ to love his Father with all our beings and to love our neighbor as ourself. I hang around for a wee while after if people have any challenges to make and willing to hear those and any questions to ask. All right, thank you.